I mean, yeah. I don't know. Do we get to a place where people just say, we're going to play guys with COVID? No. I, I, okay. I, I, I don't think so. I, th- I think the legal implications would just be, whew. Yeah, and, and some schools are request, you know, requiring waivers to be signed, and but are they, are they legally enforceable? And Welcome to an ACC podcast. I am Lauren Brownlow, and some weeks it's pretty easy for me to figure out who to invite on this podcast. And uh, John Swafford made it very easy for me <laughs> this week. And he's a great guest anytime, but certainly um, I'm glad I had David Teal, uh, currently of the Richmond Times-Dispatch, longtime ACC scribe in in the uh, unofficial and um, non-gambling pool of who would break the uh, Swafford eventual retirement story. And it was you. So hello, David. <laughs> Lauren, how are you? And, and to be fair, our friends Steve Wiseman and Luke Takak at the NNO were right on it as well. Yes. Yeah, they were right there with you. And I know they were working some of their own stuff, but I knew I knew you would be the first first because uh yeah, we and I think even um, the OG here, uh, the new radio show we have on 99.9, Joe Giglio joked with uh, John Swafford when they had him on about a month or so ago and he and asked if he wanted to break some retirement news on the show. <laughs> and he said no. And, and, and Giglio predicted it would be you. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess first thing, were you I don't know if surprised is the right word, because I think we all knew this was coming at some point in the near future. But um, was anything about this surprising? The timing, um, the way it was, anything like that? Lauren, it really wasn't. And actually, in talking with Commissioner Swafford yesterday, he was gracious enough to grant me more than half an hour as we chatted late yesterday afternoon. He confirmed my suspicion that his original intent was to announce this at Amelia Island at the annual spring meetings in May. And then, of course, the pandemic intervened and there were no in-person meetings. They were done virtually. So I had long planned to go to Amelia in May. I just had a hunch that that's where it was going to happen. And sure enough, that was the original intent. Yeah, that makes sense now, actually, with the timing. And I'm sure the pandemic being, I guess it wasn't new, new at that time, but it was still, you know, now we're a couple months, well, gosh, more than a couple months in, but I'm sure if he had done it even back in April or March, it would have been horrible timing to just yeah. say right after a pandemic, hey, right. by the way, I'm out. Yeah, um, peace out. Wouldn't I? <laughs> Tournament canceled. <laughs> See you on the golf course. Yeah. And I mean, it is it is still I, I think the only part that surprised me even a little bit was maybe that, you know, obviously, whoever his successor is going to be. I, I mean, regardless, they probably have their hands full, but especially so probably in June of 2021, depending on what happens with sports. And I don't know. I don't know if that factored into his thinking at all or if this was just the plan all along. Yeah, I don't I don't know that it, that, that it did. Uh, but I, as, as he said in his statement and as he reiterated to me yesterday, he and his wife, Nora, have been talking about this for, for some time. And his, his contract was up. And Oh, didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. 
he, he did not tell me that directly, but sources have, have told me that that was indeed the case. And heck, you know, John turned 72 in December and he will depart after 24 years. That's the longest tenure of any yep. ACC commissioner. Uh, as 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 he said, it, it was time, and, and it, it was interesting. He he shared a little nugget yesterday, Lauren, that I, that I found really interesting and and fitting. He and his wife are building a retirement home. They're downsizing to a one story there in Greensboro at Sedgefield Country Club, and it is at in his words three and a half football fields from the very clubhouse where the Atlantic Coast Conference was founded in 1953. Yeah, that's actually my home base um, as well. So um, his wife and my mother are friendly and uh, it's kind of crazy because every now and then they'll be like, yeah, they asked about you and how you were doing. And I'm like, what? (laughs) It's like this weird meeting of worlds where like my parents are friendly with them and, and they've been members forever for a long time. And um, I grew up there as well. I've always taken a certain pride in the fact that I grew up at going to the same country club that the ACC was founded in. I like to tell people it was in my blood for that reason, um, even though not really, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Greensboro parts bona fides enough for me, I feel like, to say that I grew up in ACC country, but being you know a stone's throw away from the clubhouse too. Mm-hmm. Um, but but he, yeah. he, he just said that w- with all that going on and with that with the house about to be ready, just uh it it just felt like the right time to him yeah yeah no it makes sense and um i guess the obvious thing and i don't want to get to this before we get to swafford too but at the same time i am curious like do you know how much say he's gonna have and who his successor is probably quite a bit understandably so and what direction do you think that they'll try to go in? Because I know there's some names that have been floating out there that um, would make sense in terms of who, you know, Swafford would probably prefer, but what kind of direction do you get the sense that they might want to go in? I'll share you a direct quote because it's here on my screen as we speak. This is from the commissioner yesterday. I do not expect to have any role in in who my successor is and nor do I think I should. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. So who, like, how would, who would, uh, the, who would decide that, I guess, then the schools themselves, the, kind the, of, or? The, the, the presidents and, and not coincidentally, Lauren, last week, the ACC issued a release that probably went largely unnoticed because it's kind of inside baseball and minutia. Oh, I noticed. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, about that's because you're sharp and, <laughs> and, and you get it. But the creation of a board of directors comprised solely of, of the conference presidents and then an executive committee comprised of a smaller group of presidents is a change in governance and approach that will give the league CEOs not more daily involvement, but but certainly more involvement on a regular basis. And 
presidents have always hired the commissioner. ACC bylaws state that any new commissioner must be approved by three quarters of the presidents. Okay. So, so you do the math, three quarters of 15 rounds up to 12. Now, when John was hired in 1997, the presidents appointed a search committee that included one representative from each member school. Okay. Whether they follow that blueprint again, I, I do not know. I asked John about it yesterday. He did not know. And I think another unknown, I suspect the answer is yes, is whether the ACC will retain a search firm. Yeah, that's the trend and that was not as trendy at all back in 1997, that's for sure. Absolutely. And which search firm it chooses could very well be influential because every search firm kind of has a pocket list of preferred candidates that it rolls out uh, to, to certain jobs. Right. Uh, so I, 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 I'm fascinated. I mean, I'm, I'm like you. <laughs> we are both ACC geeks. And, you know, we, we grew up with it. You in North Carolina, me in Maryland. And we've, we, we followed it since we were kids. And so th- this search for John Swaffer's successor, I, I just think is going to be as intriguing as it gets. Yeah, I, I think I, I, you know, the this, the people that came to mind immediately for me, at least based on history with the ACC and certainly success that they've had outside of it and experience they've had outside of it, were Michael Kelly, who's now the AD at um, South Florida, was spent a, a gosh quite a bit of time in the ACC. I'm not sure exactly how long, and then uh, was an executive with the College Football Playoff Committee, right. Um, and then Bernadette McGlade was another name that came to mind because mm-hmm. she spent a lot of time in the ACC. But then I had forgotten somehow that Bernadette is a Carolina alum. And I don't know. I like I know that that sounds silly. Right. But I also don't know how receptive the league would be to another Carolina alum, even though she has plenty of history outside of North Carolina at this point. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think Bernie is far enough removed from Chapel Hill that she went to school there. She she played hoops there. Heck, her her number hangs in the rafters of Carmichael Arena. I mean, yeah. she, she remains the the school's career leading rebounder. But Bernie never worked at Carolina. Right. I mean, she, she cut her coaching and administrative teeth at Georgia Tech, and then she was John Swafford's first hire at the yeah. ACC. And she remained there until the Atlantic 10 hired her as, as commissioner. And I, I know Bernie quite well. In fact, her, her office is, you know, a long field goal from, from my house. Oh, wow. Yeah. The, the Atlantic 10 is headquartered in, in, in Newport news. So I didn't know that somehow. <laughs> yeah. It, it, she actually moved the offices down here. They were written or previously in Philadelphia, but, uh, have spent you know many a moment in in the Atlantic Ten offices chatting up Bernie, and you know th- th- there are others. Uh, Shane Lyons worked under John at the ACC. He's now the athletic director at West Virginia. 
Uh, Amy Huchthausen is commissioner of the America East. She too uh, worked in an administrative role at the ACC. And um, and then, you know, Val Ackerman, the Big East Commissioner, she didn't work at the ACC, but she's a UVA alum and was a academic All-American there uh, as a basketball player. No shortage of internal ADs. And, but as, as the Big Ten and the Pacific 12 have shown us, and as Syracuse and Notre Dame showed us with their athletic director hires, more and more of these jobs are going to, quote unquote, outsiders. Right. And yeah, Syracuse's AD has actually been mentioned as well in terms of a possible successor um, because of his experience at ESPN. And obviously mm-hmm. negotiating media deals is is a key component of the job. That's also where I feel like maybe Bernadette McGlade and, and uh, you know, maybe even Michael Kelly to a degree with college football playoff experience yes. would would be able to do a pretty good job with things like that. But maybe, like you said, maybe you just go off the board and get, go get a TV guy like a uh, wild hack at Syracuse or I, I don't know. I don't know the direction they're going to want to move in. Yeah. I, I, I don't know either. And, you know, you, you, you mentioned Michael Kelly and he was very involved in ACC television negotiations when he, when, when he worked in the league office and absolutely was involved. I mean, he was on the ground floor of the college football playoff and worked under Bill Hancock, the executive director there. And, and Bill raves about Michael and he's since moved on to the AD's chair at South Florida. And, he, and he's an ACC guy. He's, he's right. a Wake Forest graduate. Yeah. And I, I'm a little biased because I, I like Michael. We but, both do, um, yes. <laughs> I don't know Bernadette McGlade, but I've heard good things. But I, yeah, Michael's great. Um, and, you know, it'd be kind of cool to have a commissioner that, like, for whatever reason, enjoys my silly Twitter content. <laughs> <laughs> I always get a kick out of that whenever anybody in athletics administration is like, I watch your panic rooms. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> They, they must have a lot of free time on their hands. Huh? That's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, no, please don't take those two seriously. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I didn't know because I was a little young at the time when they replaced Swafford. I didn't pay as much of attention then to the succession process. So I didn't know it was the president's. And interesting, I wanted to touch back, too, on that release that they sent out sort of restructuring the ACC. One reason I paid attention to it was because it seemed to be coded around the COVID nineteen situation too. Mm-hmm. Like it, it seemed as if that they were forming this committee to um, be able to better address that. And I thought that that was what sort of piqued my interest about it, even though it wasn't expressly stated. But I think what you actually what you said was probably the better way to look at it. That it's sort of restructuring the governance. Yeah, and and you're but you're right in that. There are many decisions ahead related to the pandemic, not just athletically, but academically. And now they're going to have to be very local decisions in, in, in many cases because of different situations in different states and, and regions. But clearly the presidents will, will have a say there. And there's also 
uh, COVID-19 task force that the ACC has formed with a medical professional from, from each institution, uh, chaired by an infectious disease expert there at Duke. Uh, so, so a lot of moving parts there as the ACC and the rest of intercollegiate athletics navigates this. I, I'll get. I want to get back to Swafford in a minute, but I, I guess as we start to move closer and people are coming back to campus and we're seeing what that looks like, I, my question has sort of turned to: Okay, how is this going to work when we play games? Um, mm-hmm. Is there, and and I wonder if the ACC is going to have any sort of standards for itself as a conference, um, what to do with positive tests and quarantining and all of that stuff. Because, you know, the scenario that popped into my mind was if Carolina's starting center comes down with COVID in the middle of the season. So Sam Howell, is he shut Mm -hmm. down? Like, how how is this going to, you know, I guess how much time have they devoted with so much energy being devoted to like bringing guys back and everything else, how much energy has been devoted to preparing that part of it? That's a great question. And I don't know the answer, but surely some degree of thought has, has been given. I, I, I sat in Lauren on a zoom session the other day with Jeff Halfley, the new head coach at, at Boston College, just because I was curious. They had just brought their athletes back, and I was wondering just what it looked like and, and what he was thinking. And s- someone asked him, have you thought about, in terms of just the voluntary workouts, separating your wide receivers or separating your – so an entire position group – doesn't end up quarantined. Right. And he he allowed us how absolutely that they're kind of working through those planning phases, whereas normally you would want to train all your offensive linemen together because they do the same type of weightlifting or conditioning. And then you group all your skill people. He said, we, we may be in a position where we have to mix and, and match, and that may be more difficult for our strength and conditioning staff. But th- that might be a step that they have to take. And uh, it, the, the more and more I think about it, and then you, you, you see, gosh, golfers and caddies on the PGA Tour are starting to turn up positive. And going into quarantine, and they're not blocking and tackling, and you just—at you, least I do—I wonder more and more if they can make this happen in the fall. Yeah, because you know you touched on the PGA and 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 even some outbreaks we've seen on college, you know, among college football teams, and it seems to sort of sort of stem from this very human desire, I think. And one we're seeing more and more of people to want to get out and go do things. Yep. Um, <laughs> and I don't really see how colleges, if especially if they're not doing this for normal students, I don't see how colleges can say, oh, well, you guys have to stay here and do this, especially if they have to go to class with normal students who are doing those things. Yeah. And are, are, are you know, are the athletes going to be learning strictly online? Are they going to risk sending them 
to, to class. I, right. I, I don't know. You know, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Do we get to a place where people just say we're going to play guys with COVID? No. I, okay. I, I, I don't think so. I, th- I think the legal implications would just be, who you know, and, and some schools are request, you know, requiring waivers to be signed and, but are they, are they legally enforceable? And, you know, I, uh, I read a story in the New York times this morning where in states where we're seeing this, the, the spikes, for example, in, in Texas and Florida, more than half the new cases are young people. Wow. And it's because, and it was, the, the story was told very anecdotally, and it, it, it quoted this, this young woman uh, of college age by saying, we were told we could go to the bars. So we went to the bars. And well. the, the next thing I know, I'm not feeling well and... My friends and I are in quarantine. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, I guess, yeah, I don't know. And and I was also, the one thing that got me thinking down this path was um, thinking about, I was remembering that Virginia Tech was playing Liberty this year. Mm -hmm. And obviously we know that their president has basically come out and not seen this as a threat, was making people go back to campus. Like if you're, do you know if there's been any talk at Virginia Tech about not playing them? Because they could take all the protocols they want. And if they're playing a team that isn't taking those protocols, it doesn't matter. I don't know, Lauren, if there's been any talk at Virginia Tech of not playing Liberty per se, but I can guarantee you that no team is going to take the field against an opponent that it doesn't believe is monitoring, screening, testing properly. There's no chance because yeah. you're just not going to risk that. And I, and I believe Liberty also plays Syracuse this season. Am I recalling that correctly? Oh, you might be right. Let's see. But maybe not. Yeah. Either way, that was just something I thought of. And then it's like, how would you know if you're an opponent, if you're playing, especially if you're playing, not that Liberty has plenty of money, as we know, Mm -hmm. um, but there are other schools that may not have the money to test their athletes the way some of these other schools are doing. Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, and and when that comes up, you, you especially wonder, okay, do you want to play these FCS schools? Or will they even be playing? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, Liberty it, Liberty does play at Syracuse in October. Um, yeah. I, I just, you know. And know. at NC State in November. Oh, gosh. Wow. Are they an ACC member officially <laughs> at this point? <laughs> yeah. So that's the, yeah, that's the other thing. It's just, okay, you know, if you're an ACC school playing this team, do you, you know, I don't know. It's just, there's a lot of things on the table, I guess, here. And um, it just, it's like you said, it's, it's hard to see a way for this to work. Certainly, at least if we don't, as a country, cut back on all these cases. Yeah. Oh, gosh. But it's too much money to lose, right? That's what makes me think they'll do it anyway. Well, I, I think they will try. Yeah. And I've had some conversations with some athletic directors who have said to me, yeah, I'm optimistic about starting the season, not so optimistic about finishing. 
Oof. Yeah. I mean, is there is there a possibility that they finish in the spring? Well, he, I think spring football is untenable if their intent is to play a full season in the spring, followed by then a full fall season in 2021. Because you wouldn't ask NFL players to compete 24 plus times in a calendar year. You're going to ask what is essentially an unpaid labor force to do that. I mean, that, 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 that borders on negligence and some might say criminal. And it, I mean, I think there would be enough players who would object to that and say, no way, no how. Now, if you winnowed the seasons down mm-hmm. to maybe nine or 10 games, yeah, and maybe in the 2020 season, quote unquote, if it was indeed played in 21, maybe there wouldn't be the full complement of postseason. Maybe it would be just the college football playoff. I don't know. But, you know, asking these young people to do what you would never ask professionals to do, to me, just does not, it just does not compute. Although I guess they're kind of doing that in the NBA, right? To play, play through, uh, when is, when did their season end? I forgot. It's like a three month bubble, right? So if they go in late July. True. Yeah, but it's but you're not asking them to play a complete season now in that. True. Bowl. Yeah, they're just picking yeah. up where they left off. But they'll start pretty quickly after that. One. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. crazy. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't think that one's going to work either. Um, but you know, we'll see. <laughs> they also seem to be going full full speed ahead. Although the players have a lot more say in that situation than in other. Do you? I, I don't want to get too off track because want to get back to Swafford at some point, but do you know if there's any, I know Dave Clausen, um, David Hale had talked to him and he, I, I, God, it was such a sobering moment. To yes, this morning it was. That he's isolating from his wife. For, for, for yes, the entire season. <sighs> Gosh. And can you imagine if they started it and then stopped it and started it again in the spring and then Clausen would have to do it all over again, probably if there's no vaccine yet. Yeah. Just. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, I guess his wife is a cancer survivor from 2017. I, I, yeah. I think I have that. Yeah, that's right. what it said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 just her immune system is is compromised from the chemo even that long ago. And that Clausen said told David Hale that he and his wife thought about it and decided too risky. Yeah, and it was interesting in the piece because I read it and he said that. They were going to honor any scholarships for any players that didn't want, you know, didn't feel comfortable, which I thought was great. And Mm -hmm. I, but I just don't know if that's, is that a school by school decision? Is that going to be something the NCAA eventually will have to step in and mandate? Because that's something to me, that's honestly the most important piece. I know some guys will make decisions, you know, contrary to their health regardless, and you can't do a lot about that, but at least you're giving them some modicum of a choice if you do it that way. Yeah, and, and Bronco Mendenhall said the same thing, Lauren, this morning oh, on, on the ACC network with Mark and Wes and said, 
in announcing that Virginia would begin voluntary workouts on July 5th, he actually stressed the word voluntary and said that any young man and his family that was uncomfortable returning, that that scholarship would be honored. And right now, I think that is a a school-by-school decision. Now, might might the NCAA step in? I I, I kind of doubt it. I don't think the NCAA can mandate uh, how schools spend their, their their scholarship money, but could the ACC step in? I think I certainly think it could. And, okay, good. And, and and also, would any school have the unmitigated gall <laughs> to, to 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 not honor a, a scholarship of a young person who opted out? I mean, I just I can't imagine anyone wanting to endure, number one, being that cold-hearted, and number two, then wanting to endure the blowback. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that that seems to be a trend um, among the coaches because I just, you, it's weird, right? Because people like me and you and, and so many in our business, we understand very much that our jobs will all be in a large amount of jeopardy if there's no college sports Correct. <laughs> next year. Uh, I mean, it's already tenuous for quite a bit of us already. Mm-hmm. Like not, you know, not to mention if there's nothing in the fall. I, so it's, it's tough, but then there is an icky feeling, I think of like, wow, what are we doing right now? And is this mm-hmm. okay? Um, it's a, whew. and so, yeah, it, for me at the bare minimum, giving them a choice is is something that would make me at least slightly more comfortable about some of this. Yeah, no doubt. Oh, gosh. It's, it's none of it's good. Um, but hopefully, I mean, I, I'd, I'd like, I just hope people, Hey, wear masks. Seriously, just wear a mask, please. Please. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Pretty it's simple. Exhausting. It's exhausting. Um, well, I do want to get back to Swafford for a minute since okay. he is retiring and, and just, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to my colleague now, Joe Giglio, yesterday on the phone a little bit, and he wrote wrote about this for WRLSportsFan.com and sort of threw it in at the end. But he was talking about what a shame it would be that Swafford's last public act would sort of be, you know, some would argue the mishandling of the end of the ACC tournament. Right. <laughs> most most recently. I don't I told Giglio, I don't know that that's going to be his last public act. I mean, no. he's still got a year left, but I don't know. I guess if college sports are in jeopardy, that's possible. But um yeah, I, I I didn't know. I, I thought that was interesting because yeah, Julio's right. In a lot of other ways, he acted decisively and diplomatically, and and that was just one little exception to that along the way. But it was sort of a big one, I guess, in in hindsight. Yeah, but it, hey, at least the ACC wasn't the Big East, and yeah. and right, and in yeah. in tipping off its noon game. I mean, th- yeah. th- there everyone was that Thursday canceling tournaments. And meanwhile, up in Madison Square Garden, you've got two teams on the floor. Yeah, that was crazy. I, I remember being like, oh, wow, they must not have gotten the memo. Mm-hmm. But it was, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just, and it didn't look great when sort of the information came out that Duke was like, we're not playing. And that was what sort of led to what happened. But, Thankfully, I haven't heard of any cases that sprung up from the ACC tournament. I mean, who knows? There may have been some. There may not have. Um, but it, there was a definite feeling, I think, for most of us of fear of like, what's 
what's going on right now? Like, should we even be here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, ugh. Um, I, I guess like, what do you think? There's so many things that happened in his tenure, but what's, yeah. what, what's his, what do you think his legacy will be when we look back on it? Well, f- first and foremost, Laura, I think he'll be remembered just at his core as an ACC guy. Yeah. I mean, here's here's someone who grew up in North Wilkesboro, who is eight years old when he sets foot in Duke Stadium to watch his older brother play for the Blue Devils on a team that went to the Orange Bowl in, in 1957. And he fell in love with college sports. And then a decade later, enrolls at North Carolina and plays college football and then forges this un surpassed administrative career in the conference. And if you look at his impact on the conference, clearly, and they're all related. Expansion, which led to college football playoff, grant of rights, ACC network, all of it intertwined, and all of it very much because of the leadership that he exerted. Yeah. And what's interesting to me is I feel like you never really heard a lot of dissent um, from the schools themselves in terms of things that Swafford did, at least not in the last, you know, 10, 15 years as much. But you probably had your ear to the ground a little more with that. You didn't really hear, though, that stuff publicly come out about, you know, anybody disagreeing with his decision about something or Anything like that? Was that the sense that you got as well, that he was able to sort of build consensus? I think that's one of his many assets, strengths, is building consensus. And I think that applies to most any leader. And someone once (laughs) described the job of, of commissioner, especially as the league grew and grew, to me as, quote unquote, herding cats. And I, I think that is often in, indeed the case. And sometimes you have to make the majority even understand that, yeah, this might not benefit you in the short term, but in the long term, it's going to benefit all of us. And that's why you need to perhaps swallow your pride, swallow your ego and do what's best for the collective. And he was able to do that on on several occasions. Was there grumbling along the way? Sure. Um, you know, b- b- back in the day when they were going through the process of trying to add Syracuse and Miami and Boston College, not even Swafford's alma mater, North Carolina, was good was voting with him on expansion. Dick Bedore, Swafford's handpicked successor as athletic director, his former assistant, said, nope, voting against it. I mean, there were there were tense wow. times now. Yeah. Yeah. And and that wasn't a very popular decision at the time. And a lot of people didn't really understand it. But as it turns out, it basically prevented the ACC from becoming the Big East. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I I wonder, since the ACC presidents will be the ones to pick the next commissioner, essentially, Mm -hmm. uh, 
how much Swafford was very was very much a commissioner that ba- liked to balance the notions of tradition and the importance of that to this league with moving forward. Um, some may not have liked the speed at which they move forward, but moving forward and trying to get with the times and things like that. Do the ACC presidents value that as much as Swafford does, or is there any way to really know that? I don't think there is a way to, to, to know that. My, my sense is they probably don't just right. because they're not as familiar with it. And therefore they probably don't value it as much as say an athletic director or a coach or an assistant commissioner uh, who have lived it on a, on a far more regular basis uh, than they have. And with the president's, being very much at the forefront of this search, you wonder if they might think so-called outside-the-box candidates. Might they even look at one of their own? Jim Clemens, the president of Clemson, has been mentioned to me by several people as a possible candidate. And just in looking at at the landscape nationally, I think the president of Robert Morris, Chris Howard, who is a former linebacker at Air Force, won the Campbell Trophy as the nation's top scholar football athlete, was a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford, Harvard MBA, and sits on the college football playoff selection committee. I'd. I'd take his pulse. You know, would might he be interested? I, I find his resume beyond impressive and certainly diverse in, in experience. He's also a former college president here in Virginia at Hampton Sydney, a, a small private school, uh, but obviously very familiar with the student athlete experience. He's also a former Air Force fighter pilot. Wow. Uh, That's how he served his military obligation after graduating from the Air Force Academy. Wow. That's yeah. Um, It's it's just it's it's just interesting because it's just what's the biggest challenge do you think facing whoever his successor is? Like, what's the biggest challenge to the league that's not covid related, obviously, going forward? Well, (laughs) Maybe I'm cheating here because in a way it's COVID related, but Lauren, even without the pandemic, the new commissioner's greatest challenge was going to be fiscal, was was going to be money because the ACC, for all its success, now money does not buy championships. Let's keep that straight. And the ACC has continued to thrive competitively, but at some point, the money gap between the ACC and the SEC and Big Ten, the two leagues that are so far ahead of everyone else in annual revenue and therefore distributions to their member schools. At some point, that gap becomes untenable. And without question, among among the primary tasks awaiting the new commissioner and with the help of the ACC network, is going to be bridging that gap. Yeah, that's it's an interesting place that the ACC is in because it's sort of in between 
right now, uh, the Power Five schools. Uh, although I'm not, I'm not down with the Autonomy Five wording. We we did no. Power Five. Power we're just five. we're sticking with that, yes, guys. Come on, <laughs> that alone in the ACC release when they had Autonomy Five was enough to make me basically rewrite the release for my <laughs> story purposes because I was like, nope, not calling it Autonomy Five. Good um, for you. <laughs> but it's it, it's it's an interesting. Pl- I mean, they're right in the middle, right? Because the Pac-12 and Big Twelve are in worse shape than the ACC, although I don't know how much significantly worse. Um, and then obviously, yeah, like you said, the SEC and Big Twelve or Big Ten are way ahead of everybody. Is the ACC closer, I guess, to the Big Twelve and Pac-12 than it is to the SEC and the Big Ten? Much closer. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, the ACC, uh, Big Twelve, and Pac-12 are essentially financial peers but where the other two have advantages is their media rights are up for renegotiation far sooner than the ACC's which puts the the pressure so to speak very much on the ACC network and that that partnership that project needs to thrive for the, the league to continue to succeed competitively. And that's also going to involve, you know, the, the, the final piece of that puzzle, at least from a distribution standpoint, is they've got to get Comcast on board. Mm-hmm. And the Comcast deal with Disney slash ESPN does not expire until September of 21. Oof. So it, it, it may be a while yet. Are they the last one or did Xfinity, Xfinity is another one, right? Yeah, but Comcast is is the big fish. You know, that's the major provider that, that that hasn't signed on yet. And that would that be I don't know if I say enough, but would that be Yeah, that's a great would un- it be great unknown. Yeah. <laughs> and are there I mean I'm assuming there are things that the ACC network brass can do to sort of figure out ways to generate more revenue in the meantime, right? Like before they can renegotiate. They, you, you would think, and you you would think that there are provisions in the contract for for annual increases, de- depending on how the network performs and such. And then, you know, we in the media toss this out there, and, and I don't believe it's going to happen anytime soon, but. You know, the the elephant in the room always with ACC finances is get Notre Dame to join for football. Yeah, yeah, that would be a big one. And, I mean, and watch your meteorites <laughs> increase significantly. I mean, maybe if the ACC can, uh, if if we go to conference only this year, I mean, I don't know what Notre Dame would even do. Yeah. Well, the ACC would help Notre Dame. I don't think the ACC would abandon the Irish. I mean, I, I think a majority of those games would, would, would somehow get played. They would, they would not just leave them hanging out there to play home and home with New Mexico State. Well, what's interesting, though, is I was looking at Notre Dame's ACC schedule and let's say they did ACC games plus one non-conference game. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know that a lot of the schools on their schedule would choose would there would be a lot of pushback, I think, to having to play Notre Dame as their one on a conference game. Right. Like because it's Louisville, I think. And 
I think Georgia Tech is on there as well. And, and so, is, I want to say, so is Clemson. And Clemson's, yeah. Clemson's not giving up the South Carolina game. No, I don't think any of those three schools would would give up their SEC rivalry game mm-hmm. for for yep. Notre Dame. Yep. So I don't I don't even know how the ACC would accommodate them if that's the case, right? Yeah, it, 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 it's very possible. But a, a, another way to to address that is if if the season were somehow truncated, that you only require teams to play their division games, and you count mm. you you count those. Well, that'd go over great. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but those would be the only ones required. And and then, oh, okay. and then you, you you mix and match from there, and that would just provide more flexibility. You know, some schools could play seven, eight, nine ACC games, or some could play six. You, you, there are many ways you could work it. Oh, that's true, I guess. Yeah, because Clemson has another big out-of-conference game as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe it is just Notre Dame and South Carolina, but. Um, I thought they had at least one other game uh, that they probably would want to play if they could play it. Um, but let, let me see. I'm pulling it up. No, the now. the the other games are against uh, Akron and oh, F- you're right. FCS. Okay, so yeah, they wouldn't they they would potentially be open to that. But you know, it's tough. I mean, they're and it's at Notre Dame too, so mm-hmm. it's like yeah. They're trying to win a national title, and if their only non-conference games are South Carolina and Notre Dame, they might be like, "Ah, uh, guys, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about all this." So yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts, like you said. It's uh, there's a lot left to be determined, and um, I don't know, man, whoever the next commissioner is is definitely going to have their hands full. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> no, it's it, it, it is not a, a an easy job, and perhaps. In in this point in time, it's perhaps the most challenging time that a that a commissioner could be taking over a league, just because of the challenges that we've been outlining here. Yeah, and I guess well, the implementation of name, image, and likeness is more of a national issue than an ACC issue. But yeah, um, I guess that's the only other big thing on the horizon for whoever the success. Yeah, money, money. It's all about money right now, and. Boy, oh boy, if there's not a college football season or not a full one, that's going to be ACC might have to tap into that. Have they already tapped into the emergency fund or have they been waiting on that? um, John has told me that they have not done that yet. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And I I believe that is upwards of 25 to 30 million that they have in cash reserves. But that wouldn't make up for a lost season, would it? Oh, my gosh, no. No, right? That's no, like not, in the not, hundreds of millions. Yeah, not 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 even remotely close. Oof! Oh boy. Well, no that 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 wouldn't amount to ten percent of what the what the loss would be from a from a no college football season. Well, I wish I, I'm trying to think of like a happier note we can end on. I don't really know that there is. <laughs> Such a thing. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll I'll try to to, to give you one, and it, it comes from my uh, my my chat yesterday uh, with uh, with the commissioner, and we I was just asking him, uh, you know, was this a was this an emotional day? You know, what's it been like and. You know, telling people and 
and all those things. And he said things. Let, let me let me scroll down here. Live radio is wonderful, isn't it? Here on our, <laughs> our live podcast. Um, but he said he, he said a saying someone told him um, is, "Don't cry because it's over. Smile mm. because it happened." And then he said, "And that's where I am. That's the best way I can describe this." Meaning his retirement. And that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. I'm happy for him. I'm yeah. happy for his family. Uh, Cause he deserves it. Yeah, no, same, same here. And, you know, people had their beefs with him. I know sure. I actually, it actually caused me to look into Clemson's beef with him. And I know that they felt like he voted for that. He was instrumental in giving them an extra year of ACC imposed um, probation after they were punished for two years, I believe, by the NCAA in after the 1981 championship. Is that right? Yeah. And um, I, I actually found an interesting article at TigerNet where the author was attempting to figure out where this feeling comes from because they were like, John Swafford was like in his not many years on the job at that point. And I don't know that he's going into a room of ADs being like, this needs to happen right now. Correct. <laughs> yeah. When, when John Swafford was hired in North Carolina, he was the youngest division one athletic director in the country. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and it's, he was, he would have probably been like what, 33, 34, maybe I in a room you, of ADs. I, I think that, he was even younger. Yeah, so I know he voted for the probation, but I believe the TigerNet article found it was five to two. So it's not as if if he had changed his vote, it would have been mm -hmm. any different. Yeah. Um, and and let's be honest, I think before the late '90s, early 2000s, I think we saw a lot of college. It, we saw a lot of colleges and administrators probably take the wrong tack when it came to the NCAA and in terms of punishing schools for things that went on and over punishments. Um, it, it even extended to NC state and what they did to themselves and what was done to them after the Valvano years. So mm -hmm. it, it was not, that was the kind of the way of the time, you know, the, the, the way of those times, it wasn't, I don't think Swafford was doing anything insane. Um, I understand why when North Carolina's situation came up that when he, you know, didn't want to add anything onto that, people were upset, but I also don't think he was instrumental in <laughs> punishing Clemson an extra year. No, I don't either. Yeah. But that was an interesting thing because I've always heard that from Clemson people. And I've always been like, yeah, you know, I can see why they would have a beef with that. And then I, when I looked into it, I was like, oh, maybe things aren't exactly as they seem all the time, yeah. which, well, you know. And, and, and I don't mean to, to, to ramble and, and, and take up your time, Lauren. No, you're good. But, please. You know, one of the beefs I often hear from people about the ACC and, and John Swafford's tenure is that, and, and they say this because they're an AC fan of an ACC school. They say, we're so far behind the Big Ten and the SEC on a network, and we should have been at the forefront. And th that is such a specious argument. I mean, the ACC was in no position to have its own television network. It wasn't big enough. Its football stunk. Yep. I mean, from 2001 to 2012, not a single ACC football team finished among the top five in the AP poll. Oof. 
That's bad. Right. Meanwhile, the SEC is winning seven consecutive national championships. Gee, wonder why ESPN chose to create an SEC network instead of an ACC network. And oh, by the way, the SEC and the Big Ten are completely populated, with the exception of Vanderbilt and Northwestern, by these massive public institutions Mm -hmm. with huge fan bases. That is a big demographic advantage over a conference that includes Duke, Wake Forest, Syracuse, Miami, you know, private schools that don't have these massive enrollments and massive fan bases. So those who would say that the ACC needed to be on the cutting edge of, of a television network they're just not living in reality. The, AP, the ACC wasn't positioned to do that until John Swafford positioned the league to do it. Yes, and to a lesser, well, not necessarily to a lesser degree, but it, it certainly helped Florida State and then Clemson help yes. position them to do that. Oh, I, no, I, I, absolutely. That's what, yeah. to, to, to my way of thinking, Florida State in 2013 may or may not be the best football team in ACC history. I would be perfectly willing to consider that. That team was insane. Right. But this, I believe, is undeniable. Florida State in 2013 is the most important football team in Mm -hmm. ACC history because winning that national championship started the, the ACC. It just built the momentum for everything that was that was to come uh, with the college football playoff. And then the Seminoles qualify for the first CFP in 2014, and then Clemson takes the mantle from there. So, yeah, that, that, that team, say what you want about Jimbo Fisher's enabling of Jameis Winston, <laughs> which I've yeah. always held against him, but that team – it's its importance cannot be overstated. Yeah, agreed. All right, David. Well, I'm going to get you out of here. I know you've had a busy 24 hours, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a little hectic. Yeah, all right. Um, thanks so much for this and tell everybody where they can find you. I'm sure most people already know, but go ahead and do it anyway. Sure, richmond.com or by David Teal on Twitter. And and Lauren, I always enjoy our conversations. Thanks so much for having me. No, thank you so much. It's the perfect guest to have on in this moment and most moments really, but certainly this one. So thank you so much. And until next week, everybody.